India has led the world in becoming the IT capital of the world. But it is the IT capital, the back office of the world. Let's be honest. The biggest thing that is going for India is the wage disparity. And that is diluting progressively. Welcome to the second uh, episode of Outliers. It's a podcast about uh, crazy people who are chasing their passion and reimagining the future. Today, uh, we have someone uh, I have really, you know, I really uh, think of him as among the discoveries of my career. He's uh, Chetan Dube, uh, a math professor in the University of New York, turned an entrepreneur who talks very passionately about future, uh, artificial intelligence. And India has lost opportunity in, in many ways. Uh, so thanks, Chetan, for joining us today. Uh, it's always a pleasure to meet. You know, every time I meet you and listen to you, I know I go back with change the world <laughs> kind of an energy. And well, Thank uh, you for the kind words. <laughs> No, it is really always been like that. I remember first chatting up with you uh, several years ago, seven, eight years ago. Mm -hmm. And I was with Economic Times and uh, we wrote about this company, IPsoft, and, uh, and about how it's uh, challenging large IT services companies. And I remember over the next two weeks, I kept getting calls from some of the biggest CEOs in the Indian IT asking me to do more research before you know, I write about newer companies and so on, and where we are. <laughs> <laughs> so, before we met, you had a beautiful line from a guzzle that you recited yeah. for me. Mm -hmm. uh, I would love that to be the opening <laughs> of this <laughs> podcast for me. What was that? That was really moving. I, I think, I think uh, well, thank you for the kind words, yeah. Pankaj. I don't know if all of it belongs. and. Uh, I do remember that meeting on the first uh, the seven years ago, and um, you humbled me by the kind words that you uh, accord me, but I feel that uh, you have similarly tried to shape the industry by coming up with uh, radical ideas of how the industry needs to transform itself. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, I had more infamous uh, in uh, lines where um, I was at NASCOM summit, some uh, goose summit, uh, in 2005, and I said, like, if Indian IT does not wake up, it will uh, face existential crisis to this wave of automation that is coming in. Mm. And the next day, we were sitting at breakfast in the morning, and my associates who were from uh, who had flown in with me from America are sitting down with me, and we open the back page of the, uh, the I think it was the Times, I'm not sure, but it says, IPsoft CEO predicts the death of Indian outsourcing. <laughs> Well, yeah, so it was, it, was, it, was, it was a very <laughs> short breakfast. We quickly ducked and got out of the room uh, very quickly because, um, you know, I think, I think obviously I care passionately about uh, India and I think that I find that um, we are at crossroads. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. India has led mm -hmm. the, um, the world in wage arbitrage. India has led the world in becoming the IT capital mm. of the world. But it is the IT capital, the back office of the world. Let's be honest. The biggest thing that is going for India 
is the wage disparity. And that is diluting progressively. The basic Keynesian economics is saying that like we are starting to see a leveling off happening because as the Indian economy is surging. So, so we find ourselves at the crossroads currently and we say, where is this going? Mm -hmm. And when we start to project forward and we say, Indian IT has, uh, where has it taken us? It has taken us to be, the, we are the blue collar workers of uh, the world. Mm -hmm. The white collar workers happen to be in the West mm -hmm. for the most part. Mm -hmm. and, and I don't want to be sensationalist, but I want to be just factual and honest in that. The, most of the design, most of the architectures, most of those things are conceptualized in the West. True. And after the architecture, then, then they, we are the blue collar workers who are picking up the phone and trying to code some things and doing a lot of the back office work. For most part, I don't want to be misrepresented, I mean, I think I'm, but I want to be factual in giving an appraisal of where, since you asked the question. Sure. Are we, are we okay at Indian intellect, which is one of the most brilliant intellect, most analytical brains that exist in the world? Are we okay for it to be the back office? Are we okay for it to be the blue collar worker? Are we okay to be the garbage uh, cleaners and the plumbers and the, uh, the bricklayers? Or do we think Indian brain belongs at the front and center of designing these new towers that are being built? And we have to ask ourselves this question right now. And I think if we do believe that Indian brain belongs at the front and center of being the persons that are conceptualizing this new world and coming up with new radical ways of uh, digital businesses. <coughs> and if we, if we do believe that, can we change our current labor arbitrage centric models to evolve into this new model? And when we try to do that, it's, it's a very tough equation because we have a 10 billion plus uh, entities and it's very hard to change the jet engines, the proverbial, in the middle of a flight. I think the, the challenge here is that, the, and the challenge and the opportunity here is that, fortunately, there's not just the white and blue collars now. There's a new collar that's coming up and that's the cognitive collar, mm -hmm. the digital collar. Mm -hmm. India has an opportunity right now to evolve as the front runner in that digital corner. Mm -hmm. Because the digital corner world will be the biggest growth segment in the industry. And it will be, McKinsey estimates it to be $6.7 trillion market for <coughs> automation of knowledge workers. So you can just estimate the amount of opportunity that will happen for India. Because India brains is naturally aligned towards coming up with the best analytical solutions. So it's sad to me that um, we're not jumping as much as uh, an Indian would like us to <laughs> jump into. I would like to see India right at the front and center of that, mm. at uh, the cognitive collar, the automation collar jobs that are coming in. And it's a good, because it's very hard for India now to cross the chasm from being the back office to the front office right now. It's very hard. It's, it's, it's been labeled, and I think we've been labeled, and I think partly we have done it to ourselves. Because we have, uh, we have 
reduced, uh, we have diminutized in the portrayal of Indian intellect to a low common denominator for better margin uh, um, that we could have secured. And so, so in that case, having done that, we have actually made India, we have already established the rest of the world buys from India because it's cheaper often. And, uh, and it, it, it's a fact. <laughs> I'm feeling a lot yes. more or less confident. That's true. <laughs> but India, India has a chance to reinvent itself in 2017. Who will it do that, Chetan? India has a giant, the tiger has to awaken. And it has the capability of reinventing itself because the good part is that the most charismatic jobs that are coming in are this cognitive caller. And India can say, I'm going to be at the front and center of that. So, so two questions. So one is we have over $100 billion yeah. IT industry. And I mean, if, if, you, if I were to just look at their numbers and I mean, things but don't look like... Point, forgive me for interrupting. <laughs> there's a 6.7 trillion automation of knowledge worker industry happening in this decade. That is 6,700 billion, 67 times larger than the $100 billion IT industry. So we got to go full on. Mm -hmm. We've got to dispel our back office collars and jump into the cognitive collar and take the front position, world leading dominating position how, in that. How are you doing it? What's been your entrepreneurial journey? Yeah, so I can tell you all of IPsoft India staff is no longer an IT um, database administrator, system administrator, network engineer. All of them are now automation engineers. Nice. We are making all of them, if they have fixed the problem once, we're making the technology <laughs> automated from that point on. So they are all converting into being the professors that are teaching the systems to be able to do the job themselves. And so they're becoming automation engineers and they are becoming the ones that have got this cognitive caller. And, um, and that's really the way that we can transform our little segment of uh, the world. I'm, I'm very well aware that we are a diminutive little segment of IPsoft India as opposed to some big giants that exist uh, around us. So when I listen to you, Chetan, you know, uh, sometimes I get a sense of listening to uh, a missionary, yeah. uh, someone uh, was, was saying something very prophetic. You always talk of this man versus machine and this whole uh, cognitive debate like uh, in a very missionary way. Uh, the question is, uh, one, are we over paranoid? Because that's something else I get asked very often. Especially when you're talking about topic, you know, subjects like artificial intelligence, you know, uh, are we getting overly paranoid about the future and what AI can disrupt or not? Yeah. Uh, do you sometimes feel uh, you're driven more than you should be? What are you smoking? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the. Um I think those are excellent, uh, insightful questions. I think the, the second industrial age, industrial revolution is here. Mm -hmm. The digital revolution is here. Uh, and I might appear like a missionary because I perhaps care too passionately about the things that I've, I get the <coughs> privilege of speaking about. Uh, but. I think my, um, 
the only saving factor from the missionary is that we're actually delivering. In over 162 of Global 2000 are going digital with IPsoft. So you have, you take insurance industry mm -hmm. and you wonder, is it really happening or is it not happening? One of the first uh, very insightful questions. Whether it's Allstate, State Farm, MetLife, AIG, Liberty Mutual, all of them are going digital. Mm -hmm. You take some of the biggest banks from Credit Suisse to UBS to Morgan Stanley's <coughs> to even JPMC's, all of them are going digital. It is fascinating. These all of them are going, uh, and they're going very fast. What's happening though, I think your question is very interesting because it's very important for us to realize that we're in the middle of a digital Darwinistic curve. Companies and CEOs are deciding where they wish to be by the choices they make, where they wish to be on this digital Darwinism curve. Do they want to be on this lower side? And I don't think your podcast viewers can see me <laughs> stretching my hand here <laughs> up and down, but I'm uh, as a mathematician then uh, I used to always draw these figures. But we have a curve on the one side of the curve, the lower end of the curve, we have um, the ex informed. <laughs> Those people who are sitting on the beaches of Phuket and saying, ah, I've heard that there's this uh, tsunami warning and uh, there's a hundred foot wall of water coming towards me, but it's sunny outside. We still have some kind of uh, wage arbitrage gains that we can man make. And so we're okay. We just know we've heard of this thing coming, this digital wave coming. Then there are the ones in the middle that are saying, no, no, we are, they're experimentalists. They're actually starting to take a little role in proof of concepts and others. And then there are the people who have like the Barclays and others who have actually with us have said, no, no, we are going to take a certain silo of our business and we are going to mortgage. It used to take 24 days for you to be able to get a mortgage with SA302 and all the different um, compliance that you have to go through. Now, less than 24 hours mm. at Barclays. So then there are these, these ones who are like, oh, we are going to take certain lines. And then there are the front runners in this world. Digital, full on digital. And those are the BBVAs. The, um, the ones that have gone and said, we're going to look at 21 million of our uh, consumer base in Mexico and transform it into being digitally serviced. So now, this is the digital Darwinism curve. Now, there's an interesting thing about Indian IT. Indian, there's a risk curve though. Now, we have a risk curve. We start to study the risk curve and say, why are we not going digital then? If this, we could be here and we could have an attack into $6,700 billion market, then why should we not be all going this way? Yeah. Why should we? Because the problem is, one, changing the engines in flight. Second is risk. We think it's risky. But Chetan, I remember, so first, like they say, yeah. they ignore you. Then I remember uh, you and IPsoft talked alliances with a lot of these companies here. Mm -hmm. uh, we heard of uh, mm -hmm. you know, them embracing this change by working with companies like you. Uh, what, what happened? I mean, I don't want a copy yeah. of those contracts. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> but, you know, since yeah. we're talking about this journey, yeah. and uh, for me, this is a very classic uh, 
a playbook uh, wherein uh, an incumbent yeah. and how they behave with new yeah. disruption. Yeah. So I, I think the one part, uh, just a footnote, Pankaj, uh, with your indulgence on the risk curve and why the adoption hasn't yeah. happened, uh, if you would permit me. Sure. The, just one footnote. The risk curve is such that people think that the risk, how does the risk of non-adoption look like? It just so happens that the risk of non-adoption in this dig digital journey is far greater than the risk of early adoption. Oh. The risk, you can say, risk of experimental adoption is still less than the risk of, si the risk of taking one of the business lines in a bimodal journey and adoption. So it's funny, ironically, there's a concave relationship between the risk curve and the digital Darwinistic curve. So I don't know your viewers can see this in the podcast, but what I'm trying to draw is like, the, it's interesting, you, you actually are reducing your risks as you are going full bimodal in climbing up on the digital Darwinistic curve because you are mitigating the chances. If the pace of change on the outside exceeds the pace of change on the inside, the end is near. And so you're mitigating that by coming up with a digital strategy that makes you commensurate or exceeding the rate of the change of the adoption of the enterprise market and consumer market in the digital. Consumers are buying in digital now. And yeah. enterprises are buying in digital now. So you as a company must be providing these services in digital, otherwise you'll have a problem. And I think the, um, you, you asked a question about uh, what happened with the alliance. So obviously my passion about India is uh, reflected in the actions and I feel that the tiger has to awaken and take front and center role in this digital revolution that we are in the middle of. And we took on a bunch of relationships about uh, half a decade ago. And we tried to say, let's go full on automation. And we don't want to demunitize the problems that they have in going digital in this case, because they really have to change the jet, en jet engines mid-flight. And the jet is working quite well, actually. That's the interesting and part. That's the thing because you say that, hey, yeah. uh, the cash registers are ticking. Exactly. So it is, but progressively the jet is lo losing altitude. We can see that. Mm. It's losing altitude to cash registers and everything. Progressively we are starting to see the growth rates and everything. It's losing altitude as compared to the way it was climbing. Or it is not climbing at the same rate. We can see a trend emerging. So there's, I, I don't want to demunitize. Far from it, from, for me, a humble me of a little company to say, <coughs> to my mu much more luminary giants here about how to do their business. But I would say that when we shared automation technology with some of these companies, we discovered that sometimes you can arm people with an F-16, but sometimes those F-16s don't even leave the hangar. Because the models of their delivery were very different from flying an F-16, and it was very different delivery model. And so to transform that delivery model, it was not automation-centric delivery model. But now I see much more of an awareness coming into the Indian market with the CEOs, the change of leaderships that have happened. It's very encouraging to see that the leadership now is very, very motivated uh, to this change this uh, delivery model. This, no, this kind of sets it very right and, uh, and a great reading of the situation, uh, clearly. The other thing I wanted to always ask you is your own journey, Chetan, right? I mean, yeah. you were a teacher, uh, became an entrepreneur, 
uh, I don't know what happened in the middle, <laughs> but uh, uh, you know, a lot of bright people today in academia, in science, uh, when we meet, uh, great ideas, but they struggle when it comes to building something in the real world uh, mm -hmm. on their own. Uh, how did you do it? Well, I was I was foolish, and uh, and crazy, and uh, I remember a large part of my research in uh, it was summer of '98, and large part of research sounds like a country song, <laughs> but I think the um, a large part of my research at that time with uh, Professor Dennis Shasha was my advisor uh, was centered around deterministic finite state machines to try and model system engineers' brains. So mm. I remember walking into, I, I think I shared with you that I remember walking into his office one day and said, Professor, we're cloning system engineers' brains. Given a couple of summers, we should be able to extend this to common general <laughs> intelligence. Yes, he had the same expression that you do. <laughs> and then he said, uh, ah, fool, kind of left the fool part out, but said, uh, don't you understand that even John McCarthy, the father of artificial intelligence, gave up saying that the problem turned out to be a lot harder than anticipated. Mm. And, uh, but being of uh, profound ignorance of the challenges that lay ahead, we set sail anyway, mm. thinking a couple of summers. Mm. And here we are 18 summers later. But I think um, our pursuit has been very genuine. Mm. Our pursuit has not been to try and fake it. Our pursuit has not been to try and come up with cute little rules or script-based uh, automation solutions, manual automation is an oxymoron. Manual and automation does not belong in the same sentence. Mm. It must be automated automation. Mm. The process of creation automation must be automated. And that's auto autonomic automation, cognitive automation. And so we have been in the pursuit of this for 18 summers. And I think the, the pursuit, as always, which has been haunting us all along, has been the uh, six and a half decades ago, Turing had said, I propose to ask the question, can machines think? Mm -hmm. And so for six and a half decades, it's been a thing that has been haunting me. I uh, go to bed thinking about it, wake up thinking about it. Can machines come along and really become thinking pals of humans? that can walk along and absolve man of all mundane chores. Man should not, man is too brilliant a machine. Man is too brilliant an organism to be able to doing mundane chores. We should not be vacuuming the floor, driving the cars and flying planes. We should be doing what you do. Creatively influencing the IT opinion of the, uh, creatively coming up with new solutions, going up and saying how do we, uh, colonize Mars. I mean, I think I've always been fascinated by the, uh, where human brain can take us in this journey. And unfortunately, human brain is shackled today by the ordinary. Even a brain like you, 80% of the time, only 20% of the time you're using a creative brain. And that's generous. <laughs> so think 20% of the time you're using, imagine if we unshackled your brain from that 20% and allowed it to soar in its creative expression. And that's, who can do it? Only technology. Technology is gonna be the most faithful friend known to man that will come along and take care of all those mundane chores. But there is this jobs debate. And every time you talk about artificial intelligence, uh, there are debates from everybody, from Elon Musk to you name it, you know, and then Peter Thiel and, and 
then uh, Vivek Vadva, and then yeah, becomes yeah, a massive yeah. jobs yeah. debate. Mm -hmm. uh, that is one question. The second question I have to ask you, since you know you you are doing this, and uh, among the brightest brains I have met in my career. Are you kind? But I don't the, know. Mm -hmm. The whole effort around building next generation technology or solution seems to be about humanizing everything. Uh, as an outsider, I have laughed at this many times, and you know, please pardon me, I'm not a techno technology person. Like, if, you, if the pursuit is to humanize everything around us, why don't stay human? <laughs> like, you look at every interface that <coughs> Google or Facebook, you mm -hmm. know. Everything from face recognition to everything, you know, they're saying, okay, it will be human-like. So why don't you leave it there? Uh, you know, you are a professor yourself, so pardon this as a like a question from. No, no, no. <laughs> I, I would say that first I was an assistant professor, but I would say that. Um, but it's a very. Uh, so there are two parts to the question, and I think that's very, uh, very pertinent. One is that um, you know we are. We find a uh, human uh, interface and we find that uh, first part was the jobs part. Yeah. Let me just make sure that I address that sure. part. Yeah. Uh, and you would forgive my preoccupation with numbers. I'm a mathematician by training. And so I tell you, $100 billion industry, $6,700 billion opportunity. For every hundred billion that we are trying to preserve, there is six thousand seven hundred billion hmm. that we could be in the middle of making. We need to get out the old and jump into the new. It's sixty-seven times bigger. There's tons of job creation. Technology has always created more jobs. Ninety percent of us were just doing nothing but sorry. Ninety-eight percent of us were doing nothing but subsistence farming. And in 1800s. Technology came along, 2% of us now can feed the rest. 2% of us. Yeah, what happened to the jobs? Yeah, the population has increased sevenfold. We have a seven billion as opposed to a billion now, uh, as a billion in 1800. So uh, what has happened to the jobs? We've created many more jobs. We have created the opportunity for the CEO of Factor Daily to be able to affect world opinion. Otherwise, you'd be out in the field with a shovel and I'd be right behind you trying to see if we can, and 90% of us were doing that. So technology is always history. Do you believe history repeats, repeats itself? It and does. if you do believe that, you see, wait, of course technology has been the most benign. So I'm a big optimist. The only thing that I fear is that this is a very inflective revolution. This is a cognitive revolution. This is not a a muscle revolution. This is not a brawn revolution. This is a brain revolution. We're not multiplying the power of muscle. We're multiplying the power of brain. And the power of brain multiplier is an infinite multiplier. It can multiply very rapidly. And you can create hundreds of uh, different things that otherwise man used to do. You can do it very quickly by the almost within a gestation of three to four months. If we do not wake up, if they're not chief executives like Fact Daily that are waking the audience and the people up, man will be caught on the wrong foot. And there will be a chance, there will be an, a, a period where there can be a scramble that man makes to say, oh, I need to retool my skill sets now. 
to start getting engaged in a cognitive collar. I need to wear this new automation collar because I was just doing this manual work yeah. and now it's gone. But there's plenty of work here. There's plenty of automation work coming. 67 times that we just uh, looked at. So we need to really have, we are grateful for pot leaders like yourself that are trying to shape the market and waking up the market and waking up the Indian uh, brilliant IT brains into saying, wait a minute, I need to get out of the old because it's a dilapidated model, I need to jump into the new and there's gonna be plenty of opportunity for me to grow. So that's the jobs part of this. The second part is like, yes, we are humanizing. I, uh, Amelia is very human. I mean, you've been kind enough yes. to start romancing Amelia yourself. <laughs> and so, and uh, I think that you'll see that uh, Amelia, because I think we cannot be, and I'm convinced that in the next nine years now, because uh, my associates would hold me to the fact that I used to say 10 years or a year ago, but I would say in the next nine years that we'll pass somebody in the corridor and we would not be able to tell if it's a human or an android. How far are we away from that shape? That's Nine what years. you're saying? Nine years. I think we'll be able to tell, and I think there have been projections made about 15, 20, that that's obviously, but I will say that we are proceeding at a rate where we are going to reach that horizon in the next nine years. Nice. Nine years down the line, we will yeah. have her sitting by our side. I, and we'll be friends, and we'll see you <laughs> if you're sitting by this. That's a very good point. And I think you'll see, the, and why humanize? Because machines to me are friends of humans. You couldn't do the things you do. I couldn't fly. I was in Frankfurt yesterday. And then I'm here today. I couldn't do the things I do, or you couldn't shape the opinion as you do, if machines hadn't come along. And now machines will allow you to be able to further absolve of the ordinary and indulge only in the extraordinary, in the creative thinking, which is where your brain and your neocortical activities reign supreme. And so they are very friendly to me. I, I find that, uh, to they, and, and I think we need to break away from the Terminator 2 kind of imaging where machines are, you know, the steel and things. And, and that's why it's very important for my pursuits to think of machines as humans. And I think there's also in demographics where like we have aging populations, like I mean, the number of adult diapers in Japan is Japan. exceeding the number of baby diapers. And in those cases, companion, Robots oh, yes. become very important Pepper, because many right? exactly yeah. and Pepper is uh, you know very important. You got something so, brewing there. With yeah, yeah, but I think we'll uh, wait till uh, we comment on it subsequently. But I can tell you that um, it is very important for us to have a, a companionship in some uh, ways, and I think machines can be that friend. So I view machines very friendly. Uh, I, I think uh, I, I find that uh, we're carbon, hydrogen, oxygen, and uh, nitrogen and they are silicon, gallium arsenide and <laughs> some other metals. So they are friendly beings. And it, it, we, we must not be afraid and we must not try to play the machines on their field because if we try to play machines on their field, we will lose. True. Machines, <clears throat> machines are their, our friends. We should play on a higher field. We, this is the most benign tsunami that will come on our shores. It will come in and it will take care of all the crud work that we don't like to do that we don't have to do. And it will move, and it will actually make this world nice and clean. But man must move to the higher ground. Yeah. We must move to the higher ground where we can 
think of these brilliant thoughts that you as, as a company and your factory daily things off and create new designs, new algorithms, create new ways of transportation, create new ways of uh, mining asteroids. Man must move to that form of thinking because there's a, it's a big abuse on such a beautiful engine of 88 billion neurons that yeah. God has gifted us. If you don't leverage it, and if you only leverage 15% of it on an average, that's just the biggest abuse of uh, our ability to create a beautiful universe. So if man runs, I am just afraid of the fact that it'll be a scramble. Sure. Because if man is not, if people like you do not start to inform the common, good, brilliant minds that this is coming, they'll be caught off guard and they will have to run quickly up the hill and retool their skill sets to thrive in this automation digital era that's dawning upon us. really hope we don't get there and I hope it is. Well, that's where well, Factor Daily and you yeah, and we'll have a big role to play. We are grateful for leaders, thought leaders like you. No, no. Yeah, just storytellers. Uh, really awesome having you, Chetan. Uh, and uh, these are the kind of conversations we believe will shape, uh, are shaping our future. So, before we sign off, I'm not going to give you know let you go without reciting that line that you said. Oh. What was that, Kasal? Oh. I think I think Indian intellect is very dear to me. I think one of the my father used to play chess with me, and um, I was a young kid when um, he drew an arrow straight uh, pointing on, the, on my opening grade two book. He had drawn a straight arrow on the top and he had mentioned to me that like just aim for the stars at all times. And, uh, and I think Indian intellect is aligned towards those cosmic ideologies and yeah. cosmic yeah. Uh, yeah. impact. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. It has been relegated to, uh, to let's find the pressures that are low cost so that we can have margin optimization. Yeah. And I, I find it offensive and I find it um, shameful when I see that the brandishing that has happened of Indian intellect has become in the world, it's cheaper intellect. No, you and so I'm, I'm very empathetic with the fact that this is misrepresentation done for optimizing the profitability curves. And I feel, um, and <laughs> the gazal was yes. Wow. Thank you for. Uh, I was I was obviously very <laughs> passionate about India, and uh, I I feel that uh, the Indian tiger will awaken again to thrive in this new cognitive era that is here now. Godspeed with that. Yeah. Thanks so much, Chetan, and thanks for listening in, guys. Uh, this was just the second episode of uh, Factor Daily Outliers. Uh, we will bring more such conversations. We are always on the hunt to get those conversations to you. And uh, thanks for listening in. Bye-bye.